your next step. So please check those things out. And so kind of speaking about um, things that have wrapped up, this is kind of an exciting week here at our church. Uh, this past week, we had our Fusion Youth Ministry end-of-year party, which was amazing to be part of that. So thank you so much, Jen, and your team for the amazing work that you do with Fusion. You can applaud that. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Currently, right now, our kids' ministry team, they're having like a big, their end-of-year celebration and, you know, celebrating all that God has done with kids' ministry. So thank you so much to Regina and Karen and the rest of the team that do amazing work in our kids' ministry. They can't hear you. They're working with the kids right now. Okay. And again, it's just so exciting to see um, the next generation being raised up. During the sound test this morning, when I was kind of testing out my microphone getting ready, and I made the joke about 13 years over here to get me to retirement, is I have a very, very, very clear retirement exit strategy for me. I really do. <laughs> and I pray about it. You're like, what? No, Pastor Kevin, you have to be here forever until you die. No, I have to follow what the Bible teaches us and raise up younger people. And eventually I have to step out of the way and give them the baton and let them lead in a way that might make me sit over there like this. Like it's too loud, but that's okay. <laughs> that's how this faith journey works, right? Of us building into the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. It's not about us hanging on to power, hanging on to positions, hanging on to prestige, but it's seeing Jesus at work through the body of Christ, raising up men, women, boys and girls to fulfill the call that God has on their life. That gets me so jazzed up and so excited about what it truly means to become like Jesus. This is the journey that you are on. If you're here today, if you're watching us online, and you have put your faith in Jesus to deal with what we sang about, our sin, that the sin of man and that the wrath of God was laid on Jesus and not on us. If you believe that, you're on a journey and the journey is not to become more boastful and more arrogant and more judgmental of the world around us, even though the world around us is pretty messy and pretty complicated and in some ways pretty scary. We're actually on a journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. And so to help us as a church family talk about this journey of becoming like Jesus, we're going through a very small letter in the New Testament called 1 John. I really want to encourage you to follow along in a Bible today, because uh, we're going to go through a lot of different scriptures this morning, because today's text I think is crucial when it comes to the topic of becoming like Jesus. Because today's text is one of the texts in the Bible where, how do I put this? We have to differentiate between what it says compared to what it means. See, this is the challenge of Bible study sometimes. This is the challenge of preaching, of reading your Bible. Sometimes we just read what it says and then we run out into culture 
and start smacking people all upside the head with our Bibles because of what it said. But we actually have to let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. We actually have to, like, do study. you got to study the context. you got to study the original languages. you got to look at this to kind of figure out, oh, this is what it actually means. And in our journey of becoming like Jesus, that is crucial to, be, to know not just what it says, but what does it mean? How does it apply into our faith journey? How do we let Holy Spirit change us to become more and more like Jesus? And so this is week three of this series that we've been doing. Again, tiny little letter. It's just a couple of pages long. Um, if you do not own a Bible, I'd love to give you one as a gift today. We've got free Bibles in the back of the room. Please grab one of those. I'm a big believer that every family should own a Bible. And if you're watching online and you don't own a paper Bible, I'd love to send one to you. Just email me, kevin at greenbelt.church, and we'll get a Bible to you. Okay? So this letter... Just for a little bit of context before we dive into the text we're going to read today, this letter was written by the Apostle John. And this is the same John um, who is known as Jesus' beloved disciple. How many of you would love to have that on your tombstone, that that's what you're known for, beloved disciple? I mean, if you could put that on my tombstone, I think I would have done all right (laughs) to be known for that. (laughs) There are other things, if I'm looking back on my life, that I could have been known for. I really hope those don't end up on my tombstone. (laughs) I really hope those don't end up in a eulogy. They were funny in a wedding roast, not so funny in a funeral eulogy, (laughs) right? But this is John, known as the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is the same guy who reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. This is the same guy who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. This is the same man that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary to. This is the same guy who witnessed the empty tomb. This is the same guy who saw and spoke with and ate breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. This is the same guy who was arrested and sent into exile for his faith and received a revelation of the days to come and how Jesus's mission in the world would be made complete. And so John is a pastor. We call him the apostle, but he's a pastor. He has a deep shepherd's heart for the church. You can read that in his language, in the gospel of John, in the letters of John, and in the book of Revelation, you can clearly see his heart for the church. And these letters of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he writes these to the church in order to strengthen his followers. So he writes them to strengthen the church, but he also writes these to protect them, to protect the church, so that they wouldn't be susceptible to the challenges and the corruptions of the false teachers that are making their way into the church. When we kicked this series off in week one, we had a big idea, and the big idea of week one was becoming like Jesus is a journey of confessing and obeying and loving. Becoming like Jesus is a journey of confessing our sin, of obeying the teachings of Jesus, and loving people as God so loved us 
Last week in week two, we saw that becoming like Jesus is a journey of discerning between truth and lies. No one gives their life to a bad lie. It just doesn't work that way. Unless, unless you got like big, big problems. Like you got big, big problems in your life and you're like, just like you're, you're happy that your life is a train wreck. There are people like that. I don't, I haven't met many people like that, but some people do, right? None of us give our lives intentionally to a lie, but that's the way the world works. That's because we're in a kingdom of light versus a kingdom of darkness and the darkness looks like light and we don't realize we're in darkness until it's too late. A lot of the times. So we go on a journey of having to discern the difference between the truth and the lies. And so again, today's passage that we're going to look at, we're going to be reading from 1 John. We're going to go to the very end of chapter 2 and then going into chapter 3. And again, this is an important passage, I believe, in our journey of becoming like Jesus, especially as we live in a culture today that really doesn't want us to be like Jesus. We live in a culture today that would prefer for me, for you, for your family, for our church to look like culture instead of looking like Jesus. And so we have to look at this text very closely and explore it for ourselves. And again, not just what it says, but to figure out what it means and how do I apply this to my life. So I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. I'm reading from the uh, New International Version. Your version might be a little bit different. So let me read here 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. John writes this to the church. He says, and now, dear children, there's that father shepherd heart, my dear children, continue in him. Who is the him? It's Jesus. Right, So that when he, Jesus, appears, we may be confident and unashamed before his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But if you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins... And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed, sorry, God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. 
And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Okay, this, I don't know if you caught this while reading it, this is challenging. Because it looks like I read, if you believe in Jesus, you don't sin. Did you hear that? How many of you sin? If you're a visitor today, welcome to Greenbelt Church. <laughs> the pastor raised his hand. Right? This is a dangerous text because it can lead us down a path to self-righteousness of condemning brothers and sisters in the Lord and religious legalism if we're not careful. Because the Bible says, if you are righteous, you are without sin. And I follow you on Facebook. And I've seen your sin this week. You unrighteous sinner. Right? We got to be very, very, very careful with this text. That it doesn't turn us into religious Pharisees judging one another harshly and incorrectly, right? Because it's what it says. But when you study it in the context of the rest of the letter and you study it in the Greek, it's not what it means. Because there is great joy in the good news of Jesus. There is great freedom in being released from the power of sin and death. And there is great hope in the blessed day to come when all sin will be wiped away and every tear will be dealt with and every illness will be dealt with and every junk that is in our lives will be dealt with when Jesus returns. And so we have to unpack that this way, right, to make sure we don't get stuck in here of religious legalism and judging incorrectly. And so the big idea that I want us to unpack today is this, is that becoming like Jesus is a journey of dealing with our sin. And if you're writing this down, underline, highlight, circle the word our sin. See, 1 John is dealing, well, as I read it, is dealing with my sin. Even though there's a little part of me that wants to read 1 John and look at your sin. I'm not making eye contact with anybody, very intentionally. Okay? Move my head around, including all of us in this. You see, there's something in us that really, 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 really likes to point out the sin of someone else and ignore our own. But the journey of becoming like Jesus is a journey of dealing with our sin. My journey of becoming more and more like Jesus is a journey of every single day dealing with my sin and trusting God is going to do something. See, as we look at this passage here, you see this language of a spiritual father again, 
right? Dear children, dear friends. Like he's calling the church to a lifestyle here. He's calling the church to a mission of becoming more and more like Jesus, right? In verse 3 of chapter 3, it says this, all who have this hope. Now, what is the hope? Well, this is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. It's this time when Jesus is going to return. It's this, when this return of Jesus, that our sin has been dealt with, that Jesus is going to return, and that we have been made completely holy and righteous, not by keeping the law, not by keeping the commandments, but our hope is in Jesus. So all who have this hope of Jesus, what are they doing? They are purifying themselves. This is an active present tense word in the Greek. Every single day, you and I as a church are on a journey of purifying ourselves. I have not arrived. You, beloved Children, friends, have not arrived. Who has arrived? Jesus. See, all who have this hope in him, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. Again, the language here in the Greek is that this is complete, that Jesus' purity and Jesus' righteousness is complete. And ours isn't yet we live in the tension of being completely righteous before god because of the sacrifice of jesus but then there's a journey on earth of becoming more like jesus as we purify our lives of sin right so we are though john characterizes people on this journey of purifying and what is purifying it's dealing with our sin right and so john characterizes the church as children of god and the children of god are those who remain in an authentic relationship with god it's the men the women the boys and girls who have a heart for god who have a heart to obey him and have a heart to see god release them from the power of sin to release them from the lies of the world and the culture around them, right? Because again, we saw this earlier on in this series, is that there's a group of people, a group of leaders that are drawing people away from Jesus, right? They're drawing people away from Jesus saying, well, Jesus wasn't fully man, or Jesus wasn't fully God, or Jesus is just a good idea. Jesus is just one of many ways to God the Father. All of these lies of the culture are still the exact same lies that our culture deals with today, 2,000 years later. The lie has not changed. And people come in to the church, into our lives, intentionally, trying to pull us away from Jesus. And so when John is talking here in chapter 2, chapter 3, he's contrasting those who he called antichrist, not big A antichrist, but little a antichrist. And what does it mean? Those who are antichrist. You don't like Jesus. 
You're not following Jesus. You don't want anything to do with Jesus. You don't want anything to do with the teachings of Jesus. You don't want anything to do with the reality of Jesus. That's an antichrist. And he says those people are there and they're drawing people out and they're taking people out. And he goes, but then there's these other people who are faithful, who are obedient, and that they haven't left and they haven't followed the antichrist in their work. They're those who are constantly trying to seek after the father. So again, he's contrasting people in the church. He's not even talking about people out there in the culture. He's talking about people and how we deal with this in house, in here. <laughs> of am I deep down truly against Jesus? That's something all of us wrestle with, have to figure out, right? And so this is the group so that Paul, uh, sorry, not Paul, John is talking about, contrasting the people who are taking Jesus out of the good news, making up their own good news, and bringing sin into the lives of the church so much so that the church begins to enjoy their sin so much so that we begin to build theology and doctrine to approve our sin but everything is permissible i can live any way i want I feel good about this. It's not bothering me. I'm not hurting anybody. All of these things, we can develop bad theology to justify bad behavior if we're not careful. So becoming like Jesus is a journey of dealing with our sin. So let's unpack this passage a little bit here for the rest of our time together. And I want to look at two things to help you, to help me deal with our sin as we are becoming more and more like Jesus. The first thing that we have to really lean into and grasp when it comes to dealing with sin, again, because we could easily go legalistic. I could easily just print out a list. Here's everything I don't want you to do. And if I see you posting anything on Facebook that you say or do any of this stuff, I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to whack you with a rod on your way out the door. I could get very, very legalistic. Okay, that's not the goal. The goal is to look at what John talks about here to help you and I deal with our sin. And the first is this, is we have to deal with our identity. We have to deal with our, our identity. Right? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, he kind of summarizes our identity here. And he says, if you know that he is righteous, being Jesus, you know that everyone who does what is right, oh, sorry, uh, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. You catch that term? Born of him. What does that mean? Right? This is a major, major theme in the ministry of Jesus. It's a major theme of the apostles and the, li- the life of the church is that there isn't a call to be religious. There isn't a call to be a good girl or a good boy. The call is to die. I love when I say that word. (laughs) The call is to die to sin and to be born again. 
This is why John's other book that he wrote, the Gospel of John, has one of the most famous verses that we see at all the football games. When everyone holds up the big signs. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Because the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. Because the world in its sin was already condemned. And when Jesus has that dialogue with the, with the religious leader Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. You are born of the Spirit. See, being born of him is crucial when it comes to dealing with our sin. And then when you are born again, when you are born of him, that's where the title of children of God then gets placed upon you. Right? And we see this theme again and again and again of being children of God. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That he gave me a new car, that he gave me lots of money that he gave me amazing health, that I got all the toys I wanted, I got the job I wanted, I got the girl I wanted. See, man, God loves me. Look how he lavished all these things on me. No. What is the thing that we praise God for? That we should be called children of God. That's your identity. If you have turned to him. That's what makes us children of God. This is what shows God's great love for you. I heard a pastor say this once. I wish I could remember who said it. I stole it at a leadership conference. When I figure out who said it, I will give credit where credit is due. He said, God does not prove his love to you by what he gives you. God has already proven his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. You have everything that all of creation cries out for. <laughs> that you can be a children of God, a child of God, because of Jesus. Right? And this isn't just John who talks about it here in this one letter. This theme comes up again and again and again. If you want to write these down and look them up on your own, you can do so. But we see this in John's gospel in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, Receive Jesus. To those who believed in his name, you believed that Jesus was fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, born of the Virgin Mary, died, died for your sin. He gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. There's that born again. Right, the Apostle Paul uses very similar language in, in, his, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Right, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. A religious, a religious slave. But rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Born and adopted into the family of God. Galatians 4, 5 and 7, right? To redeem those under the laws that we might receive adoption into sonship. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, 
God has made you into an heir. Right? See, this is so crucial when it comes to this topic of becoming like Jesus. Because here's, here's the reality. You probably have enough will to muster through your sin in your own strength. You, 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 you could suck it up. And I could preach a sermon and we could look at something. We could talk about sexual purity. We could talk about generosity. We could talk about loving my neighbor. Like I, I can pull out a million different Bible passages. And you could leave here today going, okay, I'm going to put on my big boy pants. Okay, I was going to like illustrate that, but I figured that I won't do that. Okay, I'm going to put on my big boy pants, my big girl pants, and I'm just going to will this to happen. I'm going to love my neighbor even though I hate my neighbor. And I'm going to pretend I love them. And I'm going to make sure, gosh darn it, that they think I love them. Or I'm going to like deal with my sexual sin that I'm dealing with on the internet. And I'm just going to like take my computer, I'm going to smash it, I'm going to throw it out the window, and I'm going to do all of these things. But I'm going to secretly keep my cell phone. <laughs> all right? And I'm going to make sure that I look good to everybody around me. You see, you and I, our will, our strength will get us pretty far in religion. But you'll still be a slave. You'll still be a slave to that sin because you are not dealing with your identity. I am a child of God. That is the only label I accept. I don't care what the world wants to call me, and I don't care what category the world wants to put me in. I am a child of the Most High God. Now, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, all these things. But our identity has to come from this. And here's the challenge, I think, as Christians, as we deal with, because, again, he talks about in this letter, right, he finishes the section that we read. Put my glasses back on because I can't see it. There it is. Anyone who's a child of God, well, if you do not have love for your brother or sister, uh uh-oh, we got to figure that out. What am I letting into my heart that's actually making me not love other Christians? Is it because we're putting on other labels? Because we love labels. Even the church, we love labels. I'm a premillennialist. I'm a postmillennialist. I'm a complementarian. I'm an egalitarian. I'm a this. I'm a seven-day creationist. I'm a new... We love labels. And there's nothing wrong with the label because they help us kind of figure out our doctrine and our theology, which is a great thing. But when suddenly you come across another brother or sister in the Lord... And you're more concerned with that identity more than the identity as a child of God. It creates a mess. And we give the devil a foothold to allow sin and thoughts and anger and judgment and these things to creep into our heart. And whenever you give the devil a foothold, see, sin is funny this way. Sin is never satisfied to just stay where it's at. If you give a little bit of a foothold, you stick your foot in the door, the devil puts his foot in the door, opens up the door a little bit, 
Well, he's not satisfied with his foot just being there. Well, now he's got to kind of get his shoulder in there. (laughs) And then he's got to poke his head in. (laughs) And then he's got to kind of get all of himself in there until suddenly he's hugging you. (laughs) And suddenly you don't just have a foothold, you now have a stronghold. (laughs) And we've got to be mindful of this identity, who we are. And this is why John is reminding them. And again, he's contrasting those who are opposed to Jesus. He's saying these antichrists that are lying about who Jesus is, that's trying to take you away from who Jesus is. It's not just about being spiritual and whatever works for you, that's okay. Like the lie is to take you away from Jesus. Because if our spiritual enemy can take us away from Jesus, there's a major foothold that happens. You forget who you are. You forget that you are a daughter of the Most High God. You forget that you are a son of the Most High God. And John spends so much time reminding us as the church about who we are, that it comes from Jesus. Our journey of becoming like Jesus starts and flows through and ends with Jesus as children of God, right? It doesn't come from behavior. It doesn't come from being perfect or acting perfect. It comes from Jesus, that our sins are fully dealt with because of Jesus, right? The forces of, the forces of darkness that John writes about want to keep people from either ever becoming a child of God. I mean, if, if the spiritual forces of darkness can keep people from ever coming to Jesus, That's a win. But then those who do come to Jesus, the forces of darkness are then trying to minimize our identity in Jesus. And the more you and I minimize our identity in Christ as children of God, the devil wins again. Because we're not living out of who we are. This is crucial in the journey of becoming like Jesus. Do you know who you are? Do you fully know that you are a beloved son or daughter of the creator of the universe? (laughs) That you were not made by accident. You didn't evolve from pond scum getting hit by lightning billions of years ago. You were created in the image and likeness of God because he loves you. (laughs) You were made to enjoy a relationship with this God. (laughs) To know that he's close, that he's not some far away, distant God that you can't know or can't understand. Like in our spiritual culture, we say understanding God is just not possible because God's too big. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's actually really simple to get to know the heart of God. Really simple. Just look at the life and heart of Jesus. His love his compassion, his mercy, and yes, his correcting and flipping over tables occasionally (laughs) to deal with our sin, (laughs) to draw us close to the Father. That's where your identity comes from. That is where the power to deal with sin comes from. 
It comes from your identity. This is why it's crucial. I spent a lot of time, a lot of verses looking at this identity. Because if you want to be on a journey of becoming like Jesus, if you want to be on a journey of dealing with our sin, it has to come from your identity in Christ. Your, your identity as a child of God. So that's the first thing. We really got to lean into our identity. And then the second thing on this journey of dealing with our sin that Paul, uh, Paul, why do I keep saying that? John reminds us about in this letter is we have to deal with who we follow. We have to deal with who we follow, right? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Dear children, again, fatherly language, <laughs> pastor language, right? Do not let anyone lead you astray. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. I mean, those of you who are parents who've had a child who's gone astray can feel this pain in this language, can feel the heartache in this verse. It's like, please, God, don't let the lie take anybody I love. Dear God, dear children, I know the lie sounds really good. And there's a little part in my own flesh that really wants to believe the lie that if I had more faith, I'd have a better car. I mean, my, my Dodge Caravan is fine if you like rattling noises. I'm sure in Jesus' name there's a Lamborghini in my future if I will it. But dear God, don't give in to the lie. Right? This is so crucial. We have to deal with who we follow. We have to deal with who we listen to. We have to deal with who do we allow to speak lovingly, tenderly, and with correction into our lives. We, 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 we struggle with correction. We do. I do. Because who loves to be corrected? You get like one or two hands with that question occasionally, right? Correction is hard, especially when you are absolutely convinced you're right. Have you ever been like, you were, you were so sure you were right. You ever have that, that feeling? And then you found out the hard way you were wrong. How's that feel? Don't look at the person beside you. I see you judging the person beside you right now. This is about you, not them, right? We do this. I'm so right. And we run around like bull in a china shop, and we surround ourselves with people who think exactly like us, who affirm exactly what we want to believe, exactly what we want to enforce, and then in an act of humility, I mean, I got that one wrong. All right? This is why we talk about in this series, we talked about this in week one, about keeping our list short of that confessing and obeying and loving right who we follow is crucially important and this is what john talks about here again when he's talking about do not let anyone lead you astray he continues in verse 7 he says the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous he's talking about again we're all on a journey you're never going to fully arrive But are you letting men, women, boys, and girls into your life that you see the righteousness of him in them? Do you surround yourselves with those type of people? And do you let them guide you? 
Like when John writes about righteous here, again, you've got to unpack the Greek a little bit because culture today doesn't like righteous because we think self-righteous, kind of these religious people that I don't want to hang out with. You know, they're like, they're really rough and sharp around the edges and they're really mean and judgy. That's not righteous. See, righteous in the Greek here that John uses, it refers to living by right principles, living by the values of Jesus. For example, the caring of the needs of others, <laughs> right? And the opposite, see, John talked about the people who do the opposite in verse 8. He says, the one who does what is sinful, right? Other, other uh, translations say um, those who practice sin, that's how other translations put it. The, the, the NIV has it, you know, uh, it says, uh, does what is sinful. Other translations say they practice sin. What does that mean? It means they like their sin and they're going to keep on doing it. And is that the person that we let have influence in our lives? Is that the person I choose to follow? Because it seems like they're getting everything they want. And I'd like to get everything I want. That'd be awesome. So maybe if I act like that, if I behave like that, if I blast people on Twitter like that, then I'll get that kind of same kind of thing. <laughs> right? We got to be very, very leery of those who practice sin. This is what, again, John, and again, this is in the church. Not out there. <laughs> it's people in here. <laughs> right? This practicing sin indicates a person who continues to unrepentantly sin. See, there's a difference. There's a difference between the Christian who sins and is repentful, right? And is turning back to Jesus, like, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Give me the strength and the power to overcome, who is kind of working on that journey, right? Working on the journey of verse 3, of purifying themselves, that Christian is radically different than the Christian who said, it's not even sin. If you don't like the way I'm living, that's too bad. I'm good with this. You need to just accept that sin. Two different types of people, right? And this is what John's kind of watching us or guarding us about, right? Right? And again, but this isn't about kind of then judging and criticizing and all those kind of things, because again, we're trusting in the identity we have in God as God's children to navigate this in a way that we are becoming more like Jesus, where you see joy and love and peace and patience, self-control, long-suffering, all of those things playing out in our lives as we navigate this issue of sin in our lives. See, the world that John writes to, when he writes to the church to bring them encouragement in their identity, when he writes to them so that they would find strength in their identity, the lies of John's culture, as I've said already, are the exact same lies that you and I face face today the lies have not changed because our spiritual enemies lies from the garden of eden have been exactly the same the lies that the satan gave to jesus in his temptation are exactly the same 
as the lies that you and I face every moment of our lives. But we have to ask ourselves, am I going to listen to the lie? Am I going to discern truth? And then if I'm going to do that, am I going to go on a journey of allowing Holy Spirit to deal with my sin? Am I going to find strength and comfort in my identity? Your identity is because you're a child of God, not because you go to Greenbelt Church, not because you're a Baptist, not because you're a this, not because of that. Those are wonderful things. But our identity comes from Jesus. Our identity comes from Jesus. That he is victorious over sin. That he died for my sin. That he so loved me that he would allow the wrath of God to be upon him for my sin. So how could my response be other than love for my enemies, for the people that are different, the people I don't like, the people I don't get along with, all of those things. My identity comes from Jesus. And when you know your identity, do you let other people who have that identity love on you, guide you, pull you back, <laughs> correct you? Right? That's that relationship that we have with one another. That is so crucial. Yeah, I say this, you know, you, you could do the Christian thing by yourself in a way. You could watch sermons online that are better than mine. You could read theological books that are better than anything that I will teach you on a Sunday morning. You can just stay home and try to do this becoming like Jesus thing. Or you can be real before God because he already knows your sin. He already knows your struggle, your heartaches, all those things that you're wrestling with. And we can be real with one another. Because no one is here so self-righteous and so religious that we know we have it all together and we're judging you because we don't. And that we lovingly go on a journey together, living out of our identity as children of God, of following Jesus, so that we could see more and more people set free from the power of sin in their life. Not out of shame and guilt and religious legalism but out of the power of God working in and through us. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you that we can come to this place and we can worship you as children of the Most High God. And I praise you that we receive that adoption as daughters and as sons, not because of our holiness, not because of our righteousness, but solely out of the holiness and righteousness of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you have lavished your love on us, that we could be called children of God. And maybe you're here today and this message is new for you. Maybe this idea of Jesus and how we become children of God is new to you. You today, online or here in person, you can be a child of God. You can know for certainty that you have this identity as a child of God. 
not by going to church, but by realizing you have this sin that keeps you separated from God the Father, and Jesus came to deal with that sin. And you can become a child of God just by praying right where you are, Father, forgive me, sinner. Come into my life and make me a child of God. And if you pray like that this morning, come and tell me in the cafe afterwards. If you did that at Greenbelt online, a pop-up shows up. Click that and let us know. And then you are invited onto this journey of dealing with our sin in love, in mercy, in compassion, and in truth. So that we could see Jesus glorified in our lives. So we could see Jesus lifted up in our church and in our city. And we could see radical generosity and love all over in our lives because of our identity. That we are empowered by that and we are encouraged by who we follow. So Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, I pray that you would bring encouragement and strength. Just like John wanted encouragement and strength for his church, I want encouragement and strength for my church. So build us up, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.